In 2017, I remember sitting in a conference room in the J&J Diffusynthes building in Warsaw, Indiana. I remember looking up at a whiteboard with a schematic of a pump. Next to it, it said, quote, do not erase. As a fresh engineer out of grad school, my interest peaked and I realized that a highly regarded engineer at the company was on a mission to create a unique pump that would provide reliable and sustainable access to water that would build the foundation to alleviating poverty worldwide. To this day, I remember looking at that whiteboard and just thinking, that's cool. The engineer behind what's now called the life pump is Abe Wright. He reached out to me a few months ago after listening to my podcast. And first of all, what an honor it is to have him as a fan. But he wanted to connect and chat about some of the organizations I've highlighted on the podcast. What's funny is that we barely ever had a conversation when we worked in the same building for a full year. But now... This podcast has brought us together around the same mission, global health. This episode is special because it not only highlights how Abe and his team are serving the planet through research and development of products that serve humanity, but it's also a story of someone who took a leap of faith from a steady and seemingly secure engineering position at J&J, all the way to leading a nonprofit in the global health space. I think this episode is not only for my people in tech and engineering, but also for those who maybe want a little bit of a push to take action on your dreams and desires. Abe took a leap of faith from full-time engineer at J&J to now the co-founder and chief technology officer of a nonprofit called Design Outreach. So here's a little bit about him before we dive in. Abe worked 20 years in the medical device sector and is named as an inventor on 30 different US patents. As chief technology officer, he leads the research and development team, which includes full-time staff and an extensive network of volunteers, many of whom are world-class subject matter experts in their respective fields. He studied mechanical engineering and received a bachelor's from Messiah University and a master's from the University of Denver. Abe, his wife Lisa, and three children live in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Hethel Bauman, and this is the Global Health Pursuit. Abe, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I am really excited to chat with you because I think it was like in 2000 in 2017 Mm. i had first learned about you and i think you were still working at depusynthes at j and j in warsaw and i always heard you know amazing things about you how great of an engineer you were and Mm. or are and i remember going into a conference room and seeing I think it was like one of your very early on like schematics of life pump. Hmm. I don't, do you remember? Cause I remember, yeah, it's, it's so crazy. Cause that's, I was like, what's that? And 
and then I remember you doing a lot of like fundraising around campus and yeah. I was always curious like back then and I know we haven't like that was the time where we weren't really crossing paths too often but mm-hmm. I think it's just coming full circle now because now, yeah, and now I get to talk to you about it. And I just remember, like, I'm so, I'm very visual. So I just remember, like, a vivid picture where I'm just sitting. I don't even remember which conference room it was, but it was on the knees side of the building. And because I I remember you you worked on the knees side of of things. And just to give you guys context, Abe and I worked for Depuy Synthes joint reconstruction out in yeah. Warsaw, Indiana. So he was he worked on the knees group in the knees group, and I was in the hips group. And and we didn't talk to each other very often, you know. <laughs> nope, we did not. When I was doing my internship in knees, I spoke to Dan Lasher. If you're listening to this, a lot because he was my mentor um, during that internship, but. I just remember learning about design outreach just is so in the early on, early stages of things. So it's so funny. Yeah, totally full circle. But I I really want to dig into design outreach, but also just your story in terms of, you know, what brought you to even think about creating Life Pump, which Mm. is that first that first project for design outreach yeah well thanks Tuttle for having me on I mean first of all thanks for the warm welcome of course <laughs> and the nice things that you said it's it's always fun to reconnect I feel like there's like a, a camaraderie like um of former Depew Synthes hip and knee folks you know so yes so it's always good to reconnect and and I know we've we we, we reconnected earlier this year mm-hmm as I listened into your podcast. So really need to see what you're doing in global health as well. Yeah, 2017, that would have been um, about five or six years after we kind of originally had the idea for Life Pump and Design Outreach. Mm-hmm. It all started when, um, well, for me, I personally started a lot earlier. So I was, mm-hmm. I go back to the summer before my senior year in high school when I was on a summer ministry trip with my um, church denomination, we were in, we were in Southern California. I thought it was super cool. I was a kid from Indiana, you know, and (laughs) I was like, Oh man, California is cool. I want to move out here. This is awesome. Well, let me tell you. So I'm originally from New York. So when I got the phone call that I was going to be doing my internship within the, you know, the leadership program at J&J in Warsaw. I was like, where, yeah. where what, Where's why, <laughs> where's Warsaw? Um, apparently it's the orthopedic capital of yeah. the world. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Funny. And especially if you're trying to recruit and bring people in the winter uh, to work, it's a hard sell. Yep. It's really nice in the summer, but with the lakes and stuff, but yeah, so I, I grew up in Warsaw and, um, but for three days, while well, I was in Southern California, we, for three days, the group I was with, we went to Tijuana and we had an immersive experience like in the, in the barrios, in the informal neighborhoods there. Uh, they had a dorm that, that was built out of just you know, pieces of plywood and they had carpet yeah. remnants on the floor. We were using the latrines. We couldn't drink the water. Right. And, you know, playing with the kids in the streets and all of that was like first time for me 
experiencing poverty like that, mm-hmm. you know, seen on TV and, you know, suddenly my mindset changed from, wow, I'm, you know, poor me, I'm from Indiana. I was like, wow, I, I should be, I have so much to be grateful for, you know, like, Indiana. Well, talk more right. about that. Be- <laughs> right. Well, like, yeah. talk more about that because I think, you know, we're sitting on our couches and you're watching mm. TV and then you see a commercial for save the children or, or something right. like that, you know, and then, and then the, the next second, your favorite TV show is on. And so it's yeah. like such a weird dichotomy, right? And but then when yeah. you're actually immersed in like on the ground, mm. and like you feel the difference in temperature and all of it's just a different experience. It like is. You're... You know, I've been to now Central America and Africa so many times and it's so hard to explain it to people and feel like you're doing justice when you get back. And right. I think part I think a lot of that's just, you know, engaging all of the senses and then meeting people, you know, actually putting names to issues and and realizing this is personal for a lot of people and it's not just pictures on a screen. And um, this is people's lives, you know, families trying to survive and, you know, kind of going through all the daily motions that we go through and but on a different level. Yeah, it it makes it real. Yeah, so that, that for me anyway, that was where, you know, I happened to, to be a person of faith. So I felt like for me, that's where God was speaking to me, like saying, mm-hmm. like, hey, what are you going to do with your life? You know, I've given you so much. Right. And so that wasn't, I really felt that. And I, I I was trying to move on, but I just kept hearing this voice saying like, hey, what are you going to do with what you saw in Mexico? And and I felt I felt like for me personally, I, I really felt like I was gifted in, in science and math and creative. And I really wanted to do something in engineering. But then I was also hearing like, hey, go into missions, do something in missions. And I I really didn't know what those two meant together. There were right. groups back then. I think I think Engineers Without Borders was actually founded in like 2000. And I graduated in it. This was like the summer of 95. So there was like, you know, there weren't groups like this back then. And so I was, I thought I was kind of crazy, but I really wanted to do something. So I decided, <laughs> I decided, you know, maybe I was supposed to do both and I'm going to go find an engineering school that has like a focus in this area. And I, I went mm. to Messiah College because they had a big, they were ahead of their times. They had like a big service learning program before it was a cool thing. Now, now a lot of colleges and universities have that. And I was just kind of taking one step at a time and um, trying to see like what that meant and, and where, like I said, I'm a person of faith, like where God would lead me. Um, that was, that was super important uh, for me. And uh, I ended up <laughs> at, at the Pew Synthes thinking it would just be a couple of years. Cause I, 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 like I mentioned, okay. I grew up in Warsaw. So like the orthopedic capital of the world, it was always like, you know, the background there in Warsaw, Indiana. And I thought, I worked here for a few years. I had done an internship there. And it's funny how a few years turned into... And I feel like they years. suck you in. It, they yeah, suck you in, and then you just like, kind of yeah, stay. <laughs> you can't leave, you know. Somehow I finally got out. But um, yeah, I was there for 20 years. Uh, yeah. And uh, looking back, it's, it's it was an amazing time. Like, I, I really enjoyed my time while I was working for the Pusynthes. And it was during that time when I when I was working my full time job that opportunities started to open up. So I was there was a, a, a lifetime missionary at my church who was in the Central African Republic. He was starting a new water organization and he knew I was interested in these things mm-hmm. in 2000. And so I graduated college in 2000 and 2004, I believe it was. He asked me to join as a founding board member of, for Water for Good. So I joined. Okay. While I was working at the Pew Synthes, I was taking trips to the Central African Republic. 
wow. and I started to, you know, just kind of this, my, my mindset was like, how can engineers help? And I, I, we just, I just started to ask questions and, you know, over time, these, these technical issues popped up and I specifically remember on one trip, it was, I think it was around 2010, I was talking to the founder and I said, Hey, I got a group of engineers at the Pew Synthes who'd love to help you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there was a project, you know, and I'm on this trip and I, I, he's talking about these technical issues and, and then keeps talking about how these guys in Columbus are going to help him solve these issues. I kind of keep my mouth shut. Okay. I don't know who he's talking about, but Greg Bixler and these guys in Columbus at this R&D firm called Mattel are going to help him. And I think it was after like the third comment, I was finally like, Jim, I got a group of engineers here in Warsaw where you're found, you know, where, where Waterford Good Headquarters is. Why don't you talk to us? Like, we're, we're right here. We can right. help you. He, who are these Who are these guys at Mattel you keep talking about? And he's like, hey, I need to connect you two. <laughs> you really should talk to Greg Bixler. Greg and I had a conversation in 2010 that changed both of our lives. We we got together and realized we both had common common purpose and passion for using engineering to serve people in low income countries. And we just we started talking about what what that would look like, and initially just started serving with uh, Water for Good. You know, we, mm. we Jim said yeah, it would, if you could des- design a hand pump that would last longer and go deeper than current hand pumps, you'd help a lot of people. Like, hey, that sounds like a good first project. So we got so it. So what how did that project come about though? Because that was the first project. I love the first project. Yeah, so like I said, Greg Greg, who's my co founder, he worked at Battelle at the time and I was at the Pew Synthes subsidiary mm-hmm. Johnson and Johnson. And both of us had been talking to our friends and our our engineering friends in our departments. So we kinda had people teed up. And we got back and we had a phone call. We we're like, hey, we should really help Water for Good with this this hand pump project. And we sent out emails to our departments to just say, hey, who would like to help engineering a new hand pump for Africa? I, did, I remember this meeting vividly. I had 15 people show up. It was just like a lunch over lunchtime. And Greg also had 15 people show up. So we had like 30 engineers. And most of these engineers were like very seasoned engineers. We're, we're like, wow, this is a, a real thing, you know. And um, about a year later, we were on a plane taking our first prototype pump to Africa to the Central African Republic to test it. So things started happening pretty quickly after that. So how so what were the technical aspects of the pump? Like how is this pump different than others that we see out yeah. there? So there's there's millions of of uh, hand pumps installed around the world and there's two that are like open source hand pumps. There it's called the Mark one's called the Mark 2 the other's the Afrodev and they have their okay. merits but they also are they're they're very low quality. They don't last. They're not reliable. From a design perspective, they can real. They're limited. They can only go to a certain depth. And uh, there's a lot of places in the world where the water tables are decreasing for various reasons. Um, climate change being one of them. I have to ask you this. Yeah. Um, go ahead. What is what does water tables mean? Okay, like where the where, where the water is, right? So like you know, if you drill a hole in the ground, you're gonna hit water in most places mm-hmm. in the world, right? And mm-hmm. just like, you know, here in Ohio or in Indiana, you're going to hit it pretty soon. In other places in the world, it's going to be deeper. Okay. And in a lot of places, it's getting deeper because of climate change and deforestation and other issues. So we were we, we were looking at different pumps. And um, actually, Jim, the CEO of Water for Good at the time, he had 30 pumps in his network of like a thousand pumps that were these old pumps that were like designed and built in the 70s and 80s. And they were still running. 
He's like, if you can make a pump like this, like that would be great. And we actually uh, looked at that pump and it was a progressive cavity pump, which, you know, has a rotor, like a stainless steel rotor and a elastomer stator. So there's not, there's not, you know, a lot of check valves and moving parts. It's, it's pretty simple. doesn't have like catastrophic failures. And we thought, how can we make improvements on that? The, the, The principles were sound. So that's where we, we, we kind of looked at what's what's been done in the past and what worked, what was very robust and reliable, and, and built off of that. Where if you look at those other pumps that are available, they're piston pumps. So they're, they, they have inherent weaknesses and in how deep they can go and uh, how uh, wearing parts that they have. So the, uh, you know, that's, you know, we built off of the this, this pump that was discontinued and we, we took our first... Uh, prototype to the Central African Republic in 2011. And it was mm-hmm. what we call a good learning opportunity, which means that it didn't work. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. One thing we learned is so that, did. Hey, don't take your first prototype, you know, halfway around the world, you know, and uh, in, into the middle of the jungle to test it. So we, we came back right away. We drilled a, a borehole a well in, in Ohio to test. Um, Wait, so what happened? So what happened is we we had a, a mistake on basically what type of pipes would be available when we got to Africa. We we were we were we didn't ship everything over and the, the direction of the rotor didn't align with the, the direction of the threads and so wanted to keep on it sounds so stupid now when I say it out loud, but it was unscrewing itself. <laughs> so we got that fixed. You know, we, we went back and we got fixed. The whole thing basically proved that the concept was sound. That pump itself wasn't the best. You know, so we just had this misunderstanding of what what pipes would be available when we got to Africa. But the good thing was it, it kind of showed the, the proof of concept. And when we got back, we realized we needed more than just volunteers. We needed like some industry partners. We posted a few photos on online and a guy from California contacted us and said, hey, that pump you're designing looks a lot like the pump that I used to put in in the 70s and 80s that was discontinued. You should talk to my old boss who happens to be in Ian in Ohio, he started his own pump company. And we're like, oh my goodness, that's right down the road from where, right. where we are now in Columbus. It's like an hour away. So we call up Mike and and he invites us down to his company and we tell him what we're doing and his his job out hits the floor. He's like, oh my goodness, you're bringing back this pump. I was part of the team that killed that project. I used to work for that company. And, oh, no. and I always regretted it. You know, it was a for-profit thing. These other pumps were entering the market. There was a lot of headwinds. We decided, you know, we just couldn't make money on it anymore because of these headwinds. And so we decided to to end that project. Thought it had the, the potential to help a lot of people. And the time the time was kind of right for the idea to come back around again and make with improvements, it could be a better pump. So he, I mean, we this has kind of been the story all along is we've had so many partners collaborate with us um, so CPEX, which is a pump company, they've been such a great industry partner. A progressive cavity pump has a helical shape to that. It, there was, it's a very you know, specialized manufacturing technique. You can't just take it to any uh, contract manufacturer and ask them to build it. They chipped in and they, he said, hey, I'll, I'll build you a, a progressive cavity pump element to your specifications. Just tell me what you need. And so he chipped in and all the tooling, all the uh, all that investment and and CPEX continues to be a, a wonderful partner that helps us as we continue to scale up and, and implement like pump around the world. Wow. So that's like, I think that's just a really cool 
beginning story. So since then, you've left Depew. Yes. So tell talk to us about like the transition from, you know, hmm. full time at Depew to now full time at Design Outreach. Yeah. So it was about 2018. It was kind of a point of uh, making a decision. You know, like mm. Design Outreach was growing, and my career at at Depew was also growing, and I realized up until that point, I could do both of them. And it was actually helpful for me to be in a corporation. I was able to like help resource the nonprofit through volunteers, you know, connections, you know, I was the board chairman of the, of the nonprofit at time and also helping lead some engineering efforts. And, but it got to that point where it was like, okay, I got to go one way or the other. I can't continue to do both of these. And it was a conversation with my wife and really feeling like we feel called to to move into design outreach and I you know that was a tough decision but I don't regret it I'm I'm very grateful that I made that leap and it was in 2019 that I I left to join design outreach as as a the chief technology officer here that that's so cool I mean you just like take you're able to just take that leap of faith I'm sure like people were like oh you're leaving Johnson and Johnson to <laughs> do this full time good luck <laughs> uh, yeah um and i might have felt that way myself a few times you know <laughs> yeah it definitely i think we've talked about this in our even before the podcast you know you, you you're mm-hmm. in a place that feels so secure but I, that it, that can be an illusion it's hard to jump out of that comfort zone but i'm i'm grateful that that i did it that's been a leap of faith for sure it's been 5 years now in in almost 5 years and it's I think this is where I'm supposed to be. So since leaving Diffusynthes and committing to design outreach full time, I've seen that like the team has grown. You have like a full staff. Like how how hmm. has that been since, you know, coming on full time and really just seeing like now you have new projects too. Mm-hmm. So talk about that growth. When I joined about five years ago, I got here and it, on the, at least on the R&D team, uh, it was me and our one other person, you know, like, all right, yeah. we're going to change the world. And right. Yeah, we're up to now 12 members on the R&D staff. And overall, our team is like over 30 people. Yeah, it's been it's been an amazing journey to see see the growth. And it's been so fun for me to see us too. like we, we were known for Life Pump, but the vision was always bigger. The vision was always to be a research and product development firm. Mm, okay. And that's vision is now coming to reality. You know, it's so it's so neat to see that we can expand and do other projects. We can expand into other product areas. You know, we've been so much known for the work in water and now we're getting right. involved in sanitation. We're getting involved in medical devices mm-hmm. and global health. And that's really what the vision has been and I think that's why people are joining because they see that bigger vision I think if we had just been the life pump mm-hmm. organization I think we could we would still be doing good things but it would be a different organization I think that makes a lot of sense though in tra- in, in in terms of attracting engineers yes. that want to do good right mm-hmm. they're able to actually come in and say like okay let's think of another problem that's in this realm work on that and it just it doesn't have to just be water yeah absolutely yeah, we see ourselves as a, a research and product development firm that's focused on the unique needs of people living in low-income countries. And 
there's a lot more than just water. You know, it can be water. You know, the the, the three areas that we want to focus on are water, sanitation, hygiene. That's one area kind of known known as wash in the, wash. In the industry, and then uh, medical, like helping specifically like rural um, clinics and hospitals in developing countries, and then soon to be agriculture. We'd like to be able to oh, wow. provide different agricultural solutions, tools to help improve like yields, seed storage, things like that. So we've we've kind of been exploring that area, developing partnerships, but we don't have any chartered project going yet. But that's that's uh, really our vision is what we, we want to be known as a, a global leader in research and product development in those areas. And also as an advocate who who is really pushing for higher standards. You know, yeah. for instance, with hand pumps, you often see like photos of, you know, a new hand pump going in or, or even like a, a submersible pump system going in and you might, you might've donated to a, a charity and mm-hmm. you see a happy picture of people celebrating on day one. But what people often don't know is that down the road, there, there's been a lot of studies that show that the systems break, right. the hand pumps break yeah. at any one time, like 30 to 40% of hand pumps can be broken. And, you know, you could raise a standard to 90%. You could say, hey, 90% is great, but still 90% of functionality for hand pump is still like a whole month out of the year that a community might not have water. So as design outreach, we're trying to say the standard should be a lot higher than that. It should be like 98 or 99%. So it's only like <laughs> a few days down at a time. And, you know, people have water every single day. And that's really what's going to lead to ending that cycle of poverty and transformation in communities. Uh, we we actually just celebrated 10 years as an organization. And I suppose the follow-up to the story of our first uh, learning opportunity is that a year or two, it was in 2013, we went to Malawi. Uh, unfortunately, war broke out in the Central African Republic. So we had to pivot and World Vision uh, heard what we were doing and invited us to come to Malawi. And we installed our first very first life pump there. And we just celebrated 10 years of Yay. you know nonstop functioning, zero days without water, you know, zero downtime. Wow. For 10 years. And uh, we actually, if you go to our website, we have a little documentary that we made about the community and how it's, how having water, not just water, but water every single day has completely transformed the community. Wow. 10 years. Yeah. See, I think that this just speaks to, I think, your engineering mindset, because I wanted you to talk about, you know, having the background as an engineer, you know, working for J&J within medical devices and going through that process, you know, what we call the design stages, right? Yep, yep. And then transferring all of that knowledge into a nonprofit that does med devices and similar work, but just specifically for low and middle income countries. Mm -hmm. So how was that like cuz I have to I have to think that that was super beneficial, right? Cuz yeah. you could have you could have been just somebody who had a passion for bringing water to countries around the world but mm. didn't have that background, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm very grateful for that background. I I learned a a, a ton at the PU and I feel like we had great managers and leaders who really pushed our thinking and uh, was exposed to, you know, human-centered design, design thinking mm-hmm. tools. We had an industrial design human factors group at at the Pew Synthes. So I'm very grateful for the the opportunities to learn those 
those ideas, those concepts. And I would say, you know, my co-founder also, Greg, he, he also teaches this, these things at his class right. at, at OSU. Yeah. So we're both really inspired by IDEO, which is, you know, a design firm in San Francisco that's pioneered a lot of these like human-centered design ideas. And we've taken those ideas and what we've learned, you know, what I learned at Depew Synthes, what we've learned 10 years of working in low-income countries and, and modified that a bit to, to what we think works best, at least for us, in terms of making sure that we're putting low-income communities at the center of our work and really developing products that, that meet their, their unique needs. Engineers are notorious for developing a solution and then going trying to find a problem or thinking something some new tech is really cool. So we we try to avoid that by going through the human centered design process. Um, yeah, so that's that's been a huge benefit for me to to already have that background and then also the background in in terms of not just design but also manufacturing. I got to work with a lot of manufacturers and some pretty uh, unique projects. When I left, I was working on a three D printed titanium knee implant, you know, so I got mm. the, so even some specialized uh, manufacturing techniques and seeing how that, that whole process works of bringing new, new manufacturing techniques online and validating. And so, wow. yeah, I had, had a lot of really great opportunities to learn there. I do want to ask though, so the design process at, you know, a company like J&J compared to the design process at a company like Design Outreach. Mm. What are the differences that you see? Because, you know, in my mind, if you need to do like a validation, right? Mm -hmm. Do like a validation lab, you need to be in that setting, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And that's not easily attainable when you're in Columbus, Ohio, right? right? Yeah. So like, how do you work around all of that in order to create your products? Yeah, so we've tackled that in several ways. One is we try to do as much prototyping and, and testing here in the U.S. Like not taking a fully developed idea like right way around the world and spending a lot of resources and in your first testing. So we have we have a test well, we have an area that you know we can dig latrines. We do a lot of simulated use tests, like you know with our new medical device we're working on here here in our our lab. And we actually just expanded our office, so we've been able to build out some prototyping prototyping space here that we can make and break things so i mean it's basic it's basic design thinking you know try to learn quickly you know fail quickly so you can, you can learn from those opportunities early on rather than waiting until you've invested a lot of time and and in, in that but then if you get you get to the point where you do need to do testing in the field and we've actually opened a field office in malawi oh wow. so we in the early days we we're always working through implementing partners like world vision or others Right, and that that was great, and they were so generous and with their their time and resources. Uh, but we got to the point where we realized if we want to do testing, you know, those organizations are are they're busy people, you know. And mm-hmm. <laughs> but we realized that another part of our design process is is doing field testing, you know, early on just to get feasibility of the idea, and then and then later on to do more large scale pilots of our of our technologies and then do training and advocacy. So some of the projects and the products that we're working on will require some sort of regulatory approval mm-hmm. in country. So like for instance, Life Pump in Malawi required national approval. 
So really, it took an act of parliament in Malawi and Zambia to get national approval, oh, wow. which we did. And, and amazingly enough, we, we have an amazing team in Malawi, and they were able to, to work with parliament and get that through. But all of that takes work from our, our team on the ground. We do have a, an amazing advocacy program there and, and training program in, in Malawi, Zambia. We're planning an opening office in Zimbabwe probably in the next few years. Mm-hmm. We're kind of laying the groundwork for that as well. That was a long answer to your question. The short answer is we were, we have country and staff and we work with them, yeah. we're partnering with them. And we actually just hired our first uh, engineer in Malawi as well. So we, oh have, my gosh. so we have an engineer there that I'm looking forward to, to partnering with as well. Oh my goodness. Okay, that's really cool. So one of your latest projects is within the wound care field. Mm-hmm. So it's a negative pressure wound therapy device. Now, like you said, like we're moving away from water for this device. How did this device come about? Great question. I, being an employee for Johnson Johnson for almost 20 years, I got to have insight into that. I mean, they, they do work in global health as well. So I started learning about global health and mm-hmm. the, the challenges and the opportunities. And I, I just always thought it'd be great for design outreach eventually to get into something um, in this space. And I, you know, you mentioned like working within the design process mm-hmm. at Johnson and Johnson, you know, they're, they're a big company and there's a lot of policies and procedures and, you know, as the, the, the benefit, the, the, the pros and, and the cons of working at a startup, you can be more nimble and scrappy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you also have less resources to pull from. But I just really thought it'd be an opportunity to be more innovative and, and quicker. And I, I was really looking forward to to that when I came to the d- design outreach. So we, when I first arrived here, we were beginning to partner with like a mission hospital in, in Zimbabwe. We had a team. And again, this is like kind of human-centered design stuff. Just go, get immersed in what's right. happening, right? Get to know get to know the doctors, the, the nurses, the, community, the, the, the yeah. communities and see what's going on. So we had taken several trips and we had helped with a few minor kind of things. I had always been looking forward to actually building a team around this idea. And then mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, we hired our first biomedical engineer. And then Mark Heldreth, who was my former supervisor at Diffusentes, he retired. And we have this program called a fellows program where we have mostly retired folks who who say, hey, I'm not done yet, you know, making a difference. I really <laughs> want to, you know, it's my my second career. I want to continue yeah. to work and 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 we have five fellows working for us. Mark's one of them. He's our medical engineering fellow, and he's leading up our our medical team. And when he arrived, I said, "Hey, Mark, we got some ideas, but I just want, I don't want to take the low hanging fruit. Let's do like a landscape review and see what's going on and, and where mm-hmm. where are the biggest areas that we can make a difference." So, our our medical team did a survey of twenty five different mission hospitals around the world, and came up with like eight different themes of where we could. You know, what are the biggest needs? Mm-hmm. I think some of them are around like patient monitoring and oxygen concentrators, power. There was a whole bunch of whole bunch of different ideas, big ideas where a, 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 an organization can make a difference. And we had to select one because we're, we're just starting off. Right. We're building a quality system as we go here. And we and something that we didn't even have on the, our radar was wounds. You know, we weren't thinking of wounds. Uh, but that came up as a significant issue. And we, we started quickly learning about how big of an issue wounds are, especially in sub-Saharan Africa. That was really the start of it. And 
We thought that's an area that's a big issue and also an area that kind of aligns with our strengths as an organization where we felt like we could make a difference in product development with, with a team of like mechanical, biomedical, electrical engineers. So this device, you're saying that it's not only going to be affordable, non-electric, reusable, durable, easy to repair, and then it can also be operated with limited training. Yes. That's high bar, but it is. Yeah. You know, we talk about when we talk about Diomedic, we talk about the uh, the distinctives, you know, what are we what's different from us from a different like medical device company? Uh, mm -hmm. When I was at when you and I were at the Pew Synthes, when we were designing the device, we never had to think about, oh, this might be in an open air environment. You know, we always assumed it's going to be there's going to be HVAC, right? It's going to right. <laughs> it's going to be, be a, a sterile environment. That, yeah. <laughs> You know, there's not going to be dust blowing through. There's not going to be insects, you know, potentially mm -hmm. eating away at the wires. For the most part, there's going to be competent staff that know how to uh, use it right off the bat. You know, right. there's not there's not a whole lot of perhaps uh, extensive training that we need to go into to using the device. There's going to be a supply chain. You know, there's going to be trucks backing up every day to the hospital. In fact, you know, during the time we were, I, I don't know if you, when you were there, but during the time when I was there, we were switching from designing reusable tools and instruments to disposable. You know, we were okay. single use instruments for a knee joint. And that is the total opposite thinking of like mm -hmm. where like rural hospitals are. I mean, we we have an advisory team and uh, the surgeons, some of the surgeons tell us that in places they'll take their gloves off after after the day and clean them and hang them on the the line to dry, you yeah. know, and, and use them again the next day. I mean, everything gets reused. So that's really, it's a, it's a, it's a design for a different environment. You know, that's why I talk about, you know, what are the unique needs and requirements? You know, there's, we need to design a device that's going to last in the elements. There's going to be dust. There's going to be dirt. We need to make it so it's, it can be reused. Most of it can be reused. We, you know, we have to maintain the, the consumables at a low level um, and make it, and make those consumables very affordable. There's economic and financial challenges and pressures on these hospitals as well. And if it's too, too much of a burden, it just won't, it won't work for them. I can't wait to like see how this goes. I mean, it's, that's, it's just like, it's, it's really refreshing to me when I see a, a nonprofit that's like, you know, doing its due diligence in that sense. One of my last questions to you in the, in the next like couple of years, what are you most excited about in terms of design outreach? Yeah, I, I'll, I just want to throw in here too that our team just got back from a hospital that we partnered with in Malawi and just got back. We Again, like we've immersed ourselves several times. We've been there without even having a prototype, just talking to mm -hmm. the surgeons and learning about their processes in the hospitals and their challenges, their constraints, their their strengths. And we've, we've, we we uh, in November, we took a, our first prototypes and we did some feasibility testing on healthy um, subjects, healthy volunteers. And it was mm -hmm. just awesome. The the nurses there who are getting trained specifically on wound care, apparently I've been told they were like, can you just leave this behind for us? Like, uh, so it was just really encouraging for us to see, hey, we're on the right track here. And so we're, we're really looking forward to continuing this work and getting an actual device to patients, to the, the healthcare providers that are asking us for it. So it can make a big difference in people's lives. So 
I think for the second question you asked uh, around what am I most excited about with design outreach, I, I, I'm looking forward to continuing to do more. You know, this is our first project. Mm-hmm. We're not we're not a life pump organization. We're, we're not just a water or just even a, a medical device organization. We're research and product development. And so we look forward to launching this project and then and then seeing what's next for us. And maybe even before then, our team continues to grow. Uh, we continue to dream about how we can grow our capacity and take on more work. You know, <laughs> yeah. Like I mentioned, we we came up with a whole bunch of ideas that we could work on, and, and really it was just our own internal capacity that that keeps us from maybe taking on more at this time. But we we look forward to to dreaming big and, and doing more in the future. You know, I I look forward to, to seeing the products having an impact in people's lives. Mm-hmm. Are you hiring? Are we hiring? You can go look at our website. We kind of have a, a unique model where we we have engineers join our team through support raising, um, which mm-hmm. I could get into a whole other conversation about what that's about. If you're interested and in, in want to learn more about that, I'd be happy to, to answer questions. But yes, you'll see project engineering positions on our on our website. Amazing. So how can people get involved with design outreach or, and get in contact with you if they want to learn more? Yeah, we, you know, we I mentioned at the beginning that we had a lot of volunteers help us. It, it's still the case. So we have last year we re, we clocked like 8,200 volunteer hours and these are engineering hours. So it's pretty impressive that people are willing to give of their time so freely. And, you know, we're always interested in talking to volunteers who may want to help out with our engineering projects. We have the the fellows program as well. The difference between a fellow and a volunteer is, you know, a fellow is someone who is, who technically behind the scenes is a volunteer, but they want, they, they say, Hey, I can give like two days a week. And they, they commit to helping lead our projects and mentor our younger staff. So that's, that's an opportunity as well that, that people can get involved in. You know, there's always the opportunity just to follow along with what's going on. So, you know, we have, <laughs> we send out frequent communications and stuff if people just want to know what we're up to and there's someone that's specifically interested in the negative pressure wound therapy project, like either because they're at a, a mission hospital or have a connection somewhere, like they could feel, uh, feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to, to talk about um, opportunities there as well. Amazing. Thank you so much yeah. for coming on to the podcast. Abe. Uh, thank you, Heddle. It's been great. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to learn more about today's topic and guest, head over to the show notes linked in the description of this episode. There, you can get access to resources, links, and ways you can get involved in the pursuit for global health. And if you loved this episode, don't forget to write me a review on Apple Podcasts and rate the podcast on Spotify. It helps me get in front of more people just like you and continues to elevate the causes we are so passionate about. I'll see you in the next one.